Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, December 6th. Let's listen to how justices on the Supreme Court spoke from the bench yesterday about the latest clash of rights case involving same-sex couples getting married and businesses that provide wedding services. Last time around, we had cakes um, as either expressing the maker's point of view or the couple's point of view. And, and th- that's really at, at the heart of a lot of this. Justice Neil Gorsuch there, remembering the Masterpiece Cake Shop case from 2018. Do you remember that? I'm sure you do. The Cake Shop won, but it did not set a sweeping precedent. And that's why they're back for this case that the court heard yesterday called 303 Creative LLC versus Alanis. 303 Creative is a wedding services website in Colorado being started by Lori Smith, who says her brand of Christianity will lead her to deny services to same-sex couples. She doesn't quite put it that way, but that's what it amounts to. Colorado is one of 30 states, we'll mention, with an anti-discrimination law that requires businesses to offer the same services to everyone without regard to race, religion, gender, or sexual orientation. Interestingly, the other 20 states, I guess, from Nina Totenberg's report, do not have those protections, but that's one of the things that we'll touch on with our law professor guest in just a minute. But the clips of the justices that we'll play are all about other kinds of choices that businesses may or may not be able to make depending on how this case comes out. Here's Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Well, it might be an unusual case, but the problem and and what a lot of the hypotheticals are getting at is however we decide this case obviously applies to others. And what if we say it's not the New York Times, but what if we say that it's a gay rights group that wants to publish gay rights announcements online all year round, not just for Gay Pride Month, because it wants to celebrate love in that community. And so it publishes only same-sex marriage announcements and turns away opposite sex. Can the gay rights organization do that? Justice Barrett there. We'll get into that particular example that she gave. Joining us here is Columbia University Law School professor Catherine Frankie. She is director of Columbia's Center for Gender and Sexuality Law and founder of the Law, Rights, and Religion Project, which describes itself as a think tank based at Columbia Law School that develops policy and thought leadership on the complex ways in which religious liberty rights interact with other fundamental rights and obviously This is right in their sweet spot. So Professor Frankie is also author of the books Wedlocked, The Peril of Marriage Equality, and Repair, Redeeming the Promise of Slavery's Abolition. Professor uh, Frankie, thanks for coming on for this. Welcome back to WNYC. Oh, good morning, Brian. Great to be with you. Can you start with a little bit of background? What did the Cake Masters case settle in 2018, and what did it not settle? Well, that case is grows out of the what I describe as the wedding industrial complex of all of the different <laughs> kinds of 
um, providers that are part of a wedding, whether it's the people who are designing the invitations or the cakes or the flowers or any of that. And um, they have uh, religious or faith-based objections to the idea that same-sex couples can legally marry. And in Masterpiece Cake Shop, we had a, a baker who didn't want to make a cake for a same-sex wedding of two men. And um, the, the big constitutional questions around religious liberty and free speech were at issue in that case, but the court ended up deciding it much more narrowly because there was some evidence. And actually, this only came up at the oral argument in the case. It wasn't something that had been part of the, the facts or the briefing in the case prior to oral argument, but the the um, the court looked to evidence that maybe some of the commissioners of the Colorado Human Rights Commission held anti-religious bias towards Jack Phillips, who's the the cake baker. And so the court said, look, these these human rights organizations can't target or discriminate against religious people who um, who uh, may have an objection to complying with the law. So the the, the holding was actually very narrow in hmm. the Masterpiece Cake Shop. And I think um, many court watchers felt like we dodged a bullet in that case. But the bullet is back in this one. And in this case, Lori Smith's lawyer argued that Smith, as a web designer, is not asking for the right to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. She's an artist who doesn't want to be compelled by the state to publish a message she disagrees with. Therefore, it's not just a First Amendment religious liberty case. It's also a First Amendment freedom of speech case, freedom from having the government tell you you have to say things you don't believe. Strong argument, according to you? Well, it is. I would note that she also brought a religious liberty claim um, and tried to raise both the free speech and the religious liberty issue to, uh, with the Supreme Court, but the court only took the question of the free speech um, issues huh. that are at stake here. So they they teed up both of those those questions, but the court was so busy in the last few terms with religious liberty, they're now turning to free speech in these kinds of cases. And I, I will say that these cases are underwritten by a right-wing evangelical uh, uh, legal organization, the Alliance Defending Freedom, that has been very creative in finding new ways to protect faith-based objectors to a range of public policies, whether it's rights to abortion, trans kids' rights, uh, trans adults' rights for that matter, and also the rights of same-sex couples. And so um, it's this free speech argument that they've been working on in the lower courts for quite some time, and now the court is prepared to take it up. Um, her her claim is that she's been she's being compelled to speak and endorse a message that she disagrees with. Um, it doesn't really matter that she has a religious disagreement with the idea of same-sex marriage. Um, when we're talking about free speech rights, you just the state can't compel you to speak or or endorse any particular viewpoint, whether it's religious or otherwise. Hmm. Um, and so there, while the, the specter of religion was certainly lurking in the courtroom yesterday, uh, the outcome of the case doesn't turn on the fact that it's a religious objection she has to same-sex marriage, but more that the Colorado human rights ordinance or law that requires her to, as a business to serve everyone equally and to not discriminate on the basis of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, sex, et cetera, um, uh, that forcing her to publish a wedding invitation um, means that she is endorsing same-sex marriage in some way. 
Um, and, and that to her is forcing her to speak um, uh, or say or endorse some idea that she has right. deep disagreements so with. So, for example, I heard someone, and I don't even know if this was in the court or if this was a commentator later, but someone raised the hypothetical of a standard message that a website like hers may adorn itself with, God bless this union. But if she thinks God actually condemns this union rather than blessing it, should she be forced to publish that on her website? So what's the argument against that argument? Well, the, the underlying question that was re- debated at great length yesterday uh, in between what were really racist and homophobic things being tossed around in the court in a kind of light and funny way. Um, but the underlying question is whether publishing a website for someone else's wedding implicates the owner of that website in any way in the content of that website. So most of the wedding invitations say, you know, person A and person B fell in love. Our special day is May 3rd. Please join us at such and such um, uh, hotel. And here are the, uh, here are the uh, places where we're going to uh, register for you to give us stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and an ordinary, I think a common sense understanding of that is that the 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 platform is not endorsing the content. They're just helping uh, this couple uh, uh, invite people to their wedding. Oh, but isn't that what Twitter says about disinformation? The platform isn't putting it out. Individuals can write whatever they want. Well, that's true. But um, does Twitter have uh, First Amendment rights in the same way that that Lori Smith is claiming that she does? And I think the Twitter question is is a little bit of a different one. Um, but but what they went back and forth about in this argument is uh, in the case yesterday was really the degree to which she is in any way implicated in that content. Now, if she were publishing something that was that was, say, likely to incite violence towards someone, which is sometimes the criticism about Twitter, that raises a different question about the effects of the speech or the information that is on the website. But there's no there's no allegation here mm-hmm. that the speech that goes into a wedding invitation or the information that goes into a wedding invitation will will cause anything to happen in the world other than getting people to a marriage. Can I get your take on that Amy Coney Barrett clip that we played, sort of a shoe on the other foot hypothetical uh, where she asked, can a gay rights group publish only wedding announcements for same-sex couples because their mission is to celebrate that kind of love. Or if this web designer can't make choices like that, then would the gay rights group have to accept announcements from hetero couples as well? Yeah. How did you hear that? Well, how I heard that is, is this is something I teach my first-year law students from day one, is that part of why our equality um, laws or equal protection laws under the Constitution are so ineffective in this country is that we take a formal approach to equality, which is to say that treating a disfavored group differently than the favored group, like in the case of maybe affirmative action, is just as bad as discriminating um, in the other direction. And so what what um, what the example of, say, a, a gay pride um, uh, website uh, publishing only same-sex marriages there, that's equality enhancing. It's lifting up a disadvantaged group in a way that's designed to kind of repair discrimination in the past. 
It's and and our infrastructure, our equality infrastructure, doesn't have a very good way of differentiating between equality enhancing actions and equality denying actions. Um, and and so Coney Barrett's, I think, example is is certainly emblematic of the Supreme Court's inability to see the difference between kind of repairing past uh, discrimination by favoring a discriminated against group um, or discriminating against that group in the first instance. Um, so that that would be how I would have responded had I been standing uh -huh. there, but thankfully I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me take you down that rabbit hole one more step. Uh, sure. Because people on the right often use that kind of argument to say, oh, so people who've been discriminated against in the past or groups that have been discriminated against in the past now have special rights. I think we have heard that phrase going all the way back to the civil rights era when the segregationists say, oh, why should black people have special rights? So, because you are saying that these protected classes, and that's what Colorado law identifies, that's what many laws identify, specific protected classes that are protected because they were discriminated in the against in the yeah. past. So it's race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, those primarily. But then the other side says, wait, those people have special rights. Why should they have special rights? Yeah. Well, it's been an effective way to re-message what, what really is intended, I think, in so many cases, um, uh, to be as a kind of repair for, for, for past discrimination. And it's a it's a tough question of how can you um, create a more just society without taking into account the effects of past discrimination and creating remedies that address those past effects. That's not special rights. Mm -hmm. It's about acknowledging that we live in a society that is structured around inequality that passes for neutral rules all the time. If you look at the affirmative action case that was just argued in the Supreme Court a couple of weeks ago, um, on the one hand, the, the Harvard or Nor University of North Carolina or any of the universities uh, can't take race into account in order to make sure that they have a racially diverse class, yet they can favor, say, the, the fencing um, guys that are doing fencing, which is overwhelmingly white people, or the kids that are the, the, parent, the children and grandchildren of other people who went to Harvard, which also has the effect of favoring white people. It just doesn't read as or show up as a race-based preference. So to disable us from being able to take race into account in order to create a more equal world is what this kind of formal equality commits us to. And it means that we lock in place the current systems of inequality because we can't um, uh, reapportion re or reallocate privilege uh, in a way that would create a more just future. Braha? In Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hello, Braha. Hi, Brian. Thank you. Uh, I've been with my darling wife for 39 years, and we couldn't marry for 25, um, and that, even then, not in New York. But I, what what drove me to drives me to tears in this uh, debate, especially as it's funded by evangelicals, is uh, one example of a memory of uh, a very dear friend of mine, Fred 
whose partner was Stephen. They were not allowed to marry. We were told we're anti-marriage, so we're not allowed to marry. And Stephen had a severe asthma attack. And in those days, um, we were, the word in the LGBT plus community was never go to a Catholic hospital because, and I'll tell you why, Stephen had a severe asthma attack and their relationship wasn't recognized. And Stephen died alone Mm. because they said it was their faith and their right to separate them with us. And that's the kind of cruelty that we know all too well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Braha. I know that took courage, and, and thank you for yeah. getting through it. You got through it, and wow. So Yeah. You know, it's just, it's crushing to hear that kind of what, to me, is a very familiar story. You know, I I came up as a young lawyer in the in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, and this sort of thing happened all the time. It was more the norm than the exception. And um, I, I guess one thing to think about in terms of how do we how do we create a world where this sort of um, tragedy doesn't happen? Is is marriage the thing that fixes it, or should people who are ill um, in the hospital in desperate need of medical care and to have their loved ones around them, should they be able to have them with them whether they're married or not? Yeah. Um, and so marriage solves part of the problem, but not really the larger problem of what does it mean to be kin. And what does it mean to the to, to who is your people? We're just about out of time. There are so many other roads we could continue to go down because so many implications of this case: First Amendment, religious liberty; First Amendment, free speech; equal protection under the law for groups that have been discriminated against in the past. But but let me ask you one last thing. I mentioned in the intro that Colorado is one of thirty states with similar anti-discrimination laws that would seem to pertain in this case. But does that mean that in 20 states, it is explicitly okay in 2022 for a business to deny services to women or LGBTQ people or on racial or religious grounds? Well, some states have laws prohibiting race or sex discrimination in public accommodation. Some states don't. Um, you know, many states don't prohibit um, employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. You know, we joke in the community, married on Sunday, f- fired on Monday. Yeah. Um, and that's why there's a bill in Congress that we're hoping the Senate will vote on called the Equality Act that would add sexual orientation and gender identity protections to a whole host of federal laws because the states haven't acted. Um, but, Brian, it's tragically true that a lot of states do not prohibit sexual orientation-based discrimination. Um, uh, in public accommodations or housing or employment um, or, or any context. Um, if, if I could just jump in with one last point that I that is kind of where we started, and I think it's a good place to end. Please. Which is if, that there's a, there's a false dichotomy or a false clash being set up in this case that it's religion on one side and gay rights on the other. But in fact, there's religion all over this. A lot of gay people or same-sex couples get married because it's their faith to do so, mm-hmm. right? And we're also seeing a number of these evangelical right-wing Christians discriminating against Jews or Muslims for that matter. So it's not really, I think it's not fair to say that this clash is just between religion and gay rights. It's actually that there's a particular kind of religion that is um, uh, clashing with a whole range of rights, including the religious liberty rights of others. 
To Be Continued with yes. Columbia University Law School Professor Catherine Frankie, Director of Columbia's Center for Gender and Sexuality Law and founder of the Law, Rights, and Religion Project from the Columbia Law School. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Great to be with you, Brian. Take care. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.